You're listening to a message from Canby Foursquare Church in Canby, Oregon. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to you. Visit canbyfoursquare.com to learn more. It was one of those books in the Bible that you can go there three, four, five times and never get all that you want to get out of it. And so today what we're going to do is give you another look at Acts chapter 2. In fact, we're going to go over the same passage that we went over last week and, and look at other places, deal with the loose ends of that passage that I dealt with last week. And we want to make sure that we're really on track uh, doing what God wants us to do. If you have a Bible, you can turn there. We'll have the scripture on the overhead. We also have blue Bibles available. If you want to grab one of those, they're probably uh, around you in the seats uh, below you. Just grab one. We want you to have a Bible. And so we're going to jump in again. We want to look at this passage. Again, this is part two to Acts chapter two. And I want to start by asking you just a very simple question. Do you find it hard to get something going? Do you find it hard to get something started? Uh, I know for me there are things in my life that I do find very difficult to re-engage or to start again. I don't know if you ex experience that or if that's your problem. It's like when you're in college, the thing that you have a problem with is getting, getting started that 1966 VW Bug. Now that sounds personal because it was personal and it would never start when you wanted it to start. So it was hard to get going. I don't know if you've experienced this raising kids. Does anyone have the, that lawnmower that for some reason when your teenage boy goes out to try to start it, it doesn't start. But when you go out there, you pull it once and it starts. How convenient is that, you know? Uh, things oftentimes are, are hard to start for us. Here's my short list of things that are hard for me to start. One, working out again. That's a tough one to get going. Studying, especially if you've taken a little time off. And then probably the third for me is going back to work after vacation. That's a tough one. So uh, that's, that's just fresh on my mind because we're going into the summer and I'm thinking, yeah, that's a hard one to get going again. Starting things is something that we find difficult to do at times. The, we really do. And a lot of us, um, we're not maybe that good at it, not good at getting something started again, which to me makes the book of Acts, especially chapter 2, an extraordinary passage of Scripture. Because what's happening there is something is getting started, as we talked about last week. Something's getting started that's extraordinary. Something's getting started that is actually and literally going to change the world doesn't matter how you view Acts chapter 2, there is no denying that the world changed from that point on. The most powerful, the fastest growing, and the longest movement in history started in Acts chapter 2. This move of God started spiritual freedom. It started languages. It started translations. It started the printing press. It started schools. It started hospitals. What happened on the day of Pentecost over 2,000 years ago, the move of God's Holy Spirit changed everything. We treat and love our children differently now. That's for sure. We view ethnicities different, economies different, families different. This day of Pentecost changed the entire world. The continents of every place on this planet was changed. It brought people together that would have not ordinarily been together. We get to cross paths with people that we might not cross paths with in anywhere else in society or community and culture. It's because of this particular day when God's Holy Spirit moves, he changes everything, not the least of which is your own life. You see, the applications that we can make in Acts chapter 2 are many. Many of those applications deal with the global church. 
Other applications deal with my own walk with Jesus personally. And going through this passage of Scripture has done that for me. What would happen if you decided to make Acts chapter 2 your story? What if you decided that you were going to take Acts chapter 2 and say, now I'm going to live by this because what started there is still available to you this day. And that's the power of God's Holy Spirit. That today the power of God's Holy Spirit is accessible to all who call on the name of Jesus. And so when we call on the name of Jesus, we know that we have this power of God's Spirit in our lives. Acts chapter 2 is the definitive guide to changing the world. You cannot change the world without Acts chapter 2 because we could not do this on our own. We need it. We needed empowerment. We needed something outside of ourselves, and that is the power of God's Holy Spirit. God's Holy Spirit changed everything. I hear people say this. They say, wow, I would love to go back to Acts chapter 2. Well, personally, you can. You can invite the Holy Spirit every day to be fresh in your life, that you would have the courage and the strength to say yes every day through the power of God's Holy Spirit. I think there's a pattern here that we can follow. But one of the things that I, I, I tell people who say to me, I, I'd love to be part of an Acts chapter 2 church or be back in Acts chapter 2, I say that is really, really good, but you need to do one thing before you make that commitment. Go read Acts chapter 4 and then come back and talk to me. Because in Acts chapter 4, which is the whole ball of wax we're talking about here, if we want the early church, you know the two distinctives, especially in that in that church, the early church, one was unity. They loved each other. Even aside from their dif differences, they loved each other. The other thing is they were extraordinarily generous. There was generosity. So unity and generosity really marked the early church. Generosity to the extent that they gave away a lot of their possessions. They gave away a lot of their resources so that the church could function. So when I, when I ask people, hey, take a little trip into the neighborhood of Acts chapter 4. Get back to me and tell me what you really think about being in that early church. <laughs> Most people come back and say, oh, I, I didn't know there was that much of a cost to it. There is. But the Bible says that we can do this through the power of God's Holy Spirit. That through the strength of God's Holy Spirit, we can live the life that God has designed for us to live. So how can change begin? If things are difficult to start, if change is hard for us to do, how does it begin? Well, change begins, first of all, and I want to share this with you, make it very simple. I know it is for me a short walk of obedience. That's always how change starts in your life. When God asks you to do something, he's typically not asking you to do something that is way over the top. He really, he really doesn't do that. He's done that for me, but it's very rare. It's typically just a short walk of obedience. It's something simple he asked me to do. Remember last week I said, right now in my relationship with the Holy Spirit, and I love this, I'm being micromanaged by the Holy Spirit. That's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. But what it is is all about these short walks of obedience. It's like the Lord saying, would you go here and say this? Would you go there and say this? Annette and I went into one of our local markets the other day, and, and when I walked in, I said, okay, Holy Spirit, I know you want me to do something here. What would it be? And um, usually I, I have to confess, usually I'm just worried about getting the milk and the butter. I'm not worried about anything else. I have a list. I want to get the list done. That's me. I check it off, and I get out. Uh, but in this case, it was okay. Let's look around. Let's see who we need to talk to. Let's see who we need to pray with. And sure enough, 
uh, a young lady that attends this congregation has been going through these cancer treatments. And she was standing there, and Annette and I walked up. We acknowledged the journey she's been on, and we talked. We let her share with us that journey, and we just held hands and prayed in the aisle for her healing and for her strength and for her encouragement. You see, the Holy Spirit wants to use all of us, and he wants to use us in a way that not only changes our lives, but it changes the lives of those around us. So when we look around and we're taking those short walks of obedience, you can expect that something will happen. You see, this dramatic chapter doesn't start with drama at all. Did you notice that? In chapter 1, Jesus tells his disciples to go into Jerusalem. That's what he tells them to do. Go to Jerusalem. It's a, it's a short walk. Go there and wait. And you can read about that in Acts chapter 1, verse 12. It says, and then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's journey, a Sabbath day's walk. Now, some of you might be thinking about, well, what does that mean, a Sabbath day? Because it's usually qualified. When the Bible says you're going to be walking somewhere on a Saturday, that's the Sabbath, it usually says a Sabbath day's walk. Why does it have to say that, and why does it say that? The reason is, is because the Sabbath and the way that you live that day out of rest had a different metric system than the rest of the days. <laughs> and so the Sabbath had a different measuring system. This is what I mean. If you were to walk a normal day and you just got up and went somewhere, it could be five or ten miles. A Sabbath day's walk, half a mile. That is what qualifies a Sabbath day mile. You go over that, uh, uh, you're working. You don't work on the Sabbath. You only go uh, a half a mile. And so on this day, it says, take that walk, that short walk of obedience. In this case, the walk was just a half a mile. This epic change begins with a short walk. So the question for me and maybe for you as well, where do you need to take that short walk of obedience? Where is that in your life? Do you need to go to someone and ask for forgiveness? Do you need to go to somebody and have a conversation that has been needed for quite some time? Do you need to take a short walk to extend hospitality to someone who isn't normally cared or loved or embraced? Do you need to go there? It's just a short walk. It's a short walk of obedience. Do you need to take that short walk to your child that just wants to hear you say to them you love them? And those words will change the way that they see you and the way they see the world around them. Do you take a short walk to encourage someone with an act of kindness, just a random stranger? How about you take a short walk just to get into God's word with other people? Maybe that's a small group. Maybe that's neighbors gathering together. Maybe that's a few friends, but it's a short walk to obedience. Maybe some need to take a short walk to a recovery class. Maybe you need to take a short walk to AA or NA or Al-Anon. Maybe that's what your short walk looks like. But that short walk that you, you take, that, that, that God's Spirit is leading you to take, will change your life. Even though it doesn't look dramatic, it will have dramatic results in you and the people around you. You see, that's what these disciples understood. There were 120 people jammed into this second floor room to pause and wait and listen. These people knew something, they, they knew that something could happen. And the reason they knew that is because they spent three and a half years with Jesus. And you didn't spend that much time with Jesus and think nothing's going to happen. You always knew something was going to happen. 
some of the things you loved, some of the things you, you were afraid, some of the things scared you to death that Jesus did. But with Jesus, they absolutely knew that there was something that was going to take place. You know, I'm not sure what they thought would happen, but they knew that it would be incredible, uh, that things were about to get bigger, a lot bigger than they probably even imagined. They were in the upper room to listen to God's whisper, and what did they hear? They heard the sound of a rushing mighty wind. Can you imagine that? You're going in, you're being obedient, you're praying, and maybe you're praying to yourself, and you're with other people, and you could hear the whispers of prayer, and maybe even the voices that get a little louder in prayer, but unbeknownst to you, not expecting, not expecting anything else, except you now hear that sound of rushing mighty wind, God breathing on you. God breathing on those 120 in an upper room, it astonished them. They were taken aback by what happened there. So when we look at this, and we did last week, but we're going to read it again with different eyes. In Acts chapter 2, you look at verses 1 through 4 to see what happened. And it's good to rehearse this again. It's good to read this again. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, and suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Do you remember last week what we talked about? That passage of Scripture was the centerpiece of our message. And what happened was they heard something. That's the sound of a rushing mighty wind. They saw something. That, were, that was the tongues of fire. And then they spoke something. They spoke in another language. Those were the three things that took place. But now there's other things that are going on. If you unpack this passage of Scripture a little more, we reminded ourselves last week this was the day of Pentecost. And again, Pentecost simply means 50. There were two things that they celebrated in the festival or the feast of the day of Pentecost. One was the provision of the harvest, physical and spiritual provision. That's what they were celebrating. That's what Pentecost is all about. It's God's provision for God's people. And so what was happening here is they were celebrating that provision. And the other thing is that they were given the law on the day of Pentecost. They were celebrating that they were given the law by God and that it came through Moses. So it was a celebration that God reached out to them, giving them what we call today the Ten Commandments. So there was a celebration that, that God has blessed us with how we can live our lives, our bodies, our soul, our spirit. So God pours out his spirit on the day of Pentecost because he's saying to them, I'm going to provide for you everything you need. I'm going to provide for you for every hunger that you have. You see, Pentecost is, is an answer to the people's prayer. They're saying we're needy. They're saying we don't have enough. We, we need to be fed. We need to be physically and spiritually fed. And so the day of Pentecost is celebrating essentially that feeding, that they're being fed by God. He's saying, I'm going to feed you and I'm going to do this. The day of Pentecost was actually the fulfillment of the law. 
Remember, we talked about, about all the Old Testament prophetic words coming true. This is one of, a, one of them. The fulfillment happens. And the illustrations are so powerful to the Jewish ear and to the Jewish eyes. We talked about how we might see this, but boy, I can tell you the way the, the, the Jews saw this in that upper room, they were, they were connecting the dots left and right. They saw what was happening. They knew the scripture. They understood what was happening. So what stories in the Old Testament would have been foremost in their minds? We talked about a few of them when they gathered together. One, one of the first ones they would have remembered that would have come to their mind is Ezekiel chapter 37. You know the passage where it says, and I'll breathe on the dry bones. And when I breathe on the valley of the dry bones, they'll gather sinew and muscle and ligament there's a, there's, there's a person, there's something I'm doing. I'm making, I'm making something that was dead alive. See, immediately they would have thought of Ezekiel chapter 37 when they heard that sound, when they saw what was going on and life came to them. When you look at verse 3, where it says they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire. Again, we mentioned this last week. They would have thought immediately of Exodus chapter 3, where Moses looked down and saw the burning bush, but it wasn't consumed. You see, they would have thought of that. And then you go to uh, the next few verses, verses 5 through 11. Listen to this. It says, And now there, there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, Aren't all of these who are speaking Galileans? And then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Now notice it says, and I mentioned this last week, it says, aren't these Galileans? And let me pack that a little more, unpack it a little more for you. We talked about that being a derogatory statement. We talked about that being uh, something that they would, have, uh, they would have been saying, those uncouth, those uncouth Galileans who are from the, the farming regions you know, of, of our country. They're up in the Galilee and they're pretty uncouth people. Um, you know, it might be how some people in Portland think about, uh, about the rural areas of, of, this, of this state and, and, and this country. You know, oh, yeah, they're really not that educated, but there's something even more here. Galileans in their language had a strong, strong, noticeable accent, a, a Hebrew accent that, that if I was standing with you and you were standing with me and I was Galilean and we spoke Hebrew, the moment words came from my mouth, you go, oh, uh, he's from Galilee. You can hear the accent. It's kind of like if you're traveling and maybe you find yourself in the Midwest and you're on a bus somewhere and someone next to you starts talking and you think, where's that from? And it's that thick Bronx accent. You know where they're from when you hear that. Most people say, are you from like New York somewhere or you from the Bronx? Yeah, yeah, I am. It's the same thing. So they, they know that the Galileans had that accent and all of a sudden the accent's gone and there's this incredible clarity that comes that everyone understands. 
That's amazing. The miracle of language spoken at that moment. And then you go to the next few verses here, verses 12 and 13. It says this, amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they've had too much wine to drink. Listen, never, ever underestimate humans' ability to try to explain God away. Never, ever underestimate that. I mean, uh, I, I know that, that, that many of us, and I know there are many of us that we know for a while, even when we saw the miraculous take place in front of us, we attributed it to science or we attributed it to happenstance or we attributed it to coincidence. That's what we do. If we don't want God, we try to explain God away. If we don't want to walk with Jesus, we try to explain Jesus away. And we find a hundred ways to do that. And that's what's happening here. There is a miracle taking place right before their very eyes, their very ears. And what do they say? They're drunk. You know, I've taken that to the furthest extreme. And I thought, okay, so let's say they are at nine in the morning. That doesn't change. They still spoke a very clear language. That even makes it more of a miracle, doesn't it? No slurring, you know, no stumbling. Uh, it was nine in the morning, and Peter says, no, they're not drinking. That's nine in the morning. They are filled with the Holy Spirit of God. What you're hearing is the power of God's Spirit working in their lives. This is what I would say if, if you have friends or family members that are trying hard, working hard to explain away Jesus and his grace and salvation in your life and the lives of, of those that they're around and witness just continue to love. Just continue to live a life that is, uh, that is bold in the way that you live. I love, and you've heard me say this before, I love the words of St. Francis. He says, preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use your words. So what we do is we just live a life. And I can tell you this, that life is so attractive when we live under the influence of the Holy Spirit, not wine, but of the Holy Spirit, there is an attraction there that piques the curiosity of the human soul. How can they do this? How do they live like that? Even in the most difficult of circumstances, and by the way, it is in the most difficult circumstances that our light can shine the brightest. What is it you're going through? What is the difficulty you face? Let the light of Jesus shine, and let it shine a light on those that are, are around you. We do this and we live out our lives and this is the experiences that we have with God and we talk about those experiences. If you have a story to tell, if that's your salvation, your testimony, if it's a provision, a miraculous provision of God, would you tell friends what happened? And that's okay, even if they don't know Jesus. I, find, I, I always want to find a way to tell them about my Lord. I want to look for angles about how do I talk to them about Jesus Christ. I want to insert this into the conversation as many opportunities and challenges that might be in front of me. I want to make sure that when we leave each other's company, somehow there was an imprint left on their spirit by the Holy Spirit, and they know that something is different. They know that something is different. Something has changed. And so these are people that God has put in front of us to love. So how can we change our world? That, that really is a, a question we ask. Sounds like a big question, doesn't it? Really, we can change the world? Well, we've seen it changing over 2,000 years. When Jesus is there, there's life, there's liberty, there's hope. 
Here's some lessons, I think, from that upper room. And let me share just a few with you when I look at this passage of Scripture. Remember I said earlier, it's usually something simple. It's a short walk of obedience. What I'm going to say here in the very first thing that we do here to see our world change around us is a very simple thing. That is simply show up. <laughs> yeah, that's it right there. You just show up. There is this beauty between what the disciples did by showing up and what the Holy Spirit did by using those who showed up. You, you see, it's, it's, really, it's really very difficult for the Lord to work through us in absentia. <laughs> we, have to, we have to be present. We have to be present with our families. We have to be present with our church community and our community at large. We need to be present. We need to show up. Now, I'm not saying omnipresent because none of us are. People want us to be omnipresent at times, but we're not. We're just us. I wish sometimes I could be five places at the same time because I know that there's reasons to be in those places, but you are you, and Jesus is Jesus, and the Holy Spirit can make things happen that are really good. But here what we do is we want to show up and watch the Holy Spirit work in people's lives. The disciples didn't enable this change. They didn't cause this change. They were asked to do the only thing that you and I can do, and that is to show up. Show up in the presence of God's Spirit. Show up in the presence of the Word sitting in front of you. Show up in conversations around you. I've said this before, but I think it's worth mentioning. Oh, about 10 or 12 years ago, I, uh, I took each one of my kids, of my three kids, out to lunch at different times and just sat down with them, and I, I just asked them a simple question. Uh, I asked them this question. Dads and moms, if you're brave, you can ask this question because it takes a lot of courage. Where did I hurt you when you were growing up? And wherever that is, I want to make sure that you know that I'm asking you for forgiveness if you would find it in your heart to do that. So I sat down with each one of them, and all, both, all three of them were so gracious to me. They were so nice and kind. And I actually wanted to leave that way. You know how you, oh, okay, good, everything's good. <laughs> but I couldn't. I had to say, I know that. I, I'm okay with that. But please tell me. I'm, I'm going to press you to tell me. And, and there, was a, there was a strain, a common denominator through, through all of it. And that is there were times I didn't show up. I mean, I was there physically, but I wasn't there mentally or spiritually. I was in their presence, but I was somewhere else here. I was somewhere else here. I was... To doing something else. And I'll tell you, one of, the, one of the most difficult things to break, one of the most difficult habits to break is if you live that life where you're actually physically there but you're somewhere else, it is one of the most difficult things to do because you, you keep inviting the Holy Spirit in, but you have to do extraordinary things usually. And what my extraordinary things would be is if uh, my kids were talking with Annette because she has a great ear and she just listens to them and they would be in the kitchen and I might be, you know, in another room reading a, an article of some sort to get up physically and show up where they are and just lean on the counter and listen. Maybe not even say anything, just be there and listen and just worked at those things to show up and and, and over time, I, th I think that there's been this ability to redeem that. <laughs> so they won't, they won't go on in life, and I won't grow old. Them saying, yeah, my dad didn't show up. I think, I think they, they, they feel that their dad does show up. 
So we show up so good things happen. The Holy Spirit can use you showing up. Again, that's what we're asked to do. The feeding of the 5,000, for instance, think about that. What did those 5,000 have anything to do with a miracle? Nothing. They just showed up. <laughs> yeah, Jesus just stepped up and was teaching, and they were there, and Jesus says, wow, they look really hungry. I, I need to feed them. You know, I need, we need to do something. Guys, come here. What do you think? And you had all these little answers. Well, we don't have enough. What are we going to do? Hey, there's a kid over here. He's got some bread and fish. We'll bring it here. They showed up, and they were fed. They showed up, and they were fed not just physically, but they were fed spiritually. We need to show up. That's, that's really what, what it takes. The first step in seeing the world change to see us change. When we don't show up, we, we miss the miracle. We, we miss what happens. Can you imagine when the day of Pentecost came, they were all where? Together in one place. Would have been a different narrative if that wouldn't have happened. But the stage was set for God to do something. Why? God always responds when his people show up. One way or another, God always responds. That's why he loves you getting together. Because he wants your, your heart to be touched by his spirit. Look at Acts chapter 2, verse 4. It says, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Uh, I love that. Uh, did, did you hear how that happened? It says, as the Spirit enabled them. Again, we might try to gain the power to do things uh, in our own lives, but we don't have the power to change. Do you know the, the weakest power you ex that you have, that you possess, the weakest power? kind of power on the planet is your willpower. My willpower is pathetic most of the time. But when I'm empowered by God's Holy Spirit to carry out his mission, there are things that happen. There are things that get done. Again, my life and other lives are changed. It's not your job to produce the power. It's not your job to make that happen. Our power will always fall short. It's the power and empowerment of God's Holy Spirit. You see, for three and a half years with Jesus, they kept showing up. And they showed up from different places. If you know a little bit about the background of the disciples, Philip was a transfer student from John the Baptist. He was following John the Baptist and said, oh, John's telling me to follow him, so I'm going to follow him. You look a little further, Matthew worked for the IRS. I mean, he was a tax collector. That's what he did. And what does he do? He shows up in each story. Each story in that regard is the same. All 12 disciples had to do the same thing. The first step was to show up. I uh, hear people say, and I've probably said this before myself, I'm struggling. I can't, can't hear God's voice. I can't remember what God sounds like. I always ask a, a question that runs parallel with that. My question is, when was the last time you showed up? You're not going to hear God if you're not going to show up where God speaks. You're not going to hear God if we're not looking at his word and listening and, and devoting our life to him. And so I understand that most of the time when I don't hear God, and I'll go as far as to say all the time when I don't hear God, it's not God's fault. It's mine. What I need to do is uh, I need to make sure I'm showing up. So apply this to your life. How often do you plan to show up wherever that is? How often do you want to do that? To see God work. Say, Lord, hey. And you can even start your prayer that way. I showed up. 
He might even give you a participation certificate. <laughs> you know? Just say, hey, I, I showed up. Lord, just go ahead and work. Now, when people read chapter 2, the big issue, you know, for most of us is the speaking in tongues. And I mentioned this last week. There's something, again, a little different about tongues that sets it apart from the other gifts. It's called glossia. That's what it means. Or it just means tongue. That's what it means. So let me make this simple thing clear to you. I, I see two ways that tongues are expressed in the New Testament. One is here. And it was for the gathering of people that they heard. They heard the declaring and the praises of God through their own language. They heard them. And then you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13 and 14, and you see the gift of tongues. And what is that about? That's about, and Paul says it, it's about personal edification that happens in your life. Personal edification that happens in community. It's there. This was on Acts in Acts chapter 2, in the day of Pentecost, this was an incredibly public event where 3,000 people are saved. That's what's happening because they're hearing. They're hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so there is this tongue, and then there's the gift of tongues, which is so incredibly powerful. We'll talk about that as we move along in this. It's just all the gifts of the Spirit are things that we would want to have in our life. And I always, I always say this. I always ask people, seek all that God has for you. Seek all that God has for you. Um, I, I spent some time with someone I, I led to the Lord a few years ago, and they started coming to the church. And, and, and this is so common, and I love this with new believers. What do I do next? What do I do next? What do I do? What do I do? Um, hey, he came to me. Hey, I heard something about these gifts. I don't know anything about them. What is it? And we went, sat down, and looked at the gifts. And he goes, oh, I want that. And I said, well, why do you want it? And he goes, because I want everything that God wants to give me because he hasn't cheated me. And I'm thinking, there you go. There you go. I mean, I know there are times you analyze them, you look at them, you scrutinize them. We, we do all that. But I love the simple response of this new believer saying, hey, why would I want to hold, hold back on anything that a good, good God wants to give me? And that's really how we embrace how we embrace, I believe, the gifts of God's Spirit. It's how we embrace everything that God wants to give us. As we embrace it and say, Lord, you've never cheated me. You've never left me out. You've never left me uh, in the dark. You always work. And you always give me good things. So here, here's the last thing. The last thing that I want to share with you this morning is expect the unexpected when God moves. When God moves, it's probably not going to be according to your plan. Just letting you know. Heads up on that one. It's going to be different than what you plan. Now, there might be similarities. There might be different, but it's typically different. I had one of, uh, one of the great guys in my life, a mentor in my life. Uh, he pulled me aside early on in my time here at this church. Uh, things, good things were happening then. Good things are happening now, but he pulled me aside and he said something to me that I've never forgotten. He said, Ron, I want to ask you something. I want to talk to you just for a moment because I know God's moving in your life, moving in your church. And, um, and he said this. He said, I want you to remember this. <clears throat> the people that get in the way of the current move of God are typically the people who are in the last move of God. I went, wow, come again? And he said it again. I said, why? And he goes, because 
those that were in the last move of God have their checklist and they're saying this is what God must do in order that he move. Wow. That's why when you look at Acts chapter 2, what you want is the infilling of the Holy Spirit, but it may not come with tongues of fire or rushing mighty wind or where there is a collective speaking in other language. But he will come and he will move just as miraculously as he always does. You see, now I'm on the other end of this. I was a newbie when he told me that, you know, and I thought, yeah, those people get in the way. Well, I'm now be I'm now susceptible of being one of those people. See? And so what you pray for now, where I am in my spiritual journey, is Lord, please. Do not let me stand in the way. I was talking to a new believer who we meet every Wednesday. and um, We have a Bible study. It's a lot of fun. But he noticed I was a little hesitant one Wednesday, probably six or eight weeks ago. And he said, why are you hesitant? I said, well, let me confess. I'm hesitant because I don't want to do or say anything that stands in the way of your spiritual growth. Because typically we'll bring things to the, let's say the party, that are irrelevant, that we think are relevant. Do you, are you following me here? You following me? And we, we, we label and we, we hang these on people that they have no way of fulfilling. It's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. Did you know that was the second problem the early church actually dealt with? Was that right there? You know, the first problem was administrative, and it, and it had a cultural uh, bent to it because it was dealing with ethnicities. Remember, the Hellenistic Jews were getting cheated because they weren't being served the way that the pure blood Jews were being served, and it was brought to the attention of those running the church, and they said, we can't have that. Everyone needs to be served equally, and so there's where deacons come from. Do you remember the second problem the church faced in Acts chapter 15? The Jews were trying to decide, well, we, do we let these people in, these Gentiles who have been saved, because they don't eat the food we eat. The men are not circumcised. What do we do with that? They gather together and thank the Lord for the council of Jerusalem. You should thank the Lord every day for the council of Jerusalem because there was wise people there filled with the Holy Spirit, Peter and Paul and Barnabas. Uh, Paul steps up and he says, how can you ask them to do these things when you can't even do them yourself? Whoa. Paul was saying it's Jesus only to salvation. It isn't circumcision. It isn't the food they eat or the politics they believe or all of those kinds of things. It is Jesus Christ. That's, that's it. But something happens in our journey where we start wanting to put these other weights on people that encumber their spiritual growth and make them believe this is the definition of Christianity when it's not the definition of Christianity. Paul said, I determine when I come to you not to know anything else among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I'm not coming to find out your politics. I'm not coming to find out these issues or those issues. I'm coming to tell you about Jesus Christ and I want to see that redemption work in your life. Amen. You know how much simple this would be if we would just do this? I'm looking at this thinking, yeah, this, I, we, need, we can't keep 
hanging these things in peop- on people's lives. And here, when, when you have a, a friend, a coworker, a family member resist God and even mock you, don't give up, please. And certainly don't hang other things on them and say, you got to believe this way, you got to believe that way. If it's not in the word, don't say it. The Bible says this, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, thou shalt be saved. I don't have anything else to say. It's that. And I'm not going to put it on anyone else and add anything else to it. And here's what we can do here to communicate. How do we communicate with others? Here it is. Be consistent. These are things that I've just learned in my journey. Be consistent with your friendship. Be consistent with leaning in. When it, wherever you are, just continue to be consistent. Oftentimes that can be hard you know, for me. Maybe it's because the way I feel that day. <laughs> I might not feel as good as I did the other day, but that's where the power of the Holy Spirit comes in. The power of the Holy Spirit is just as powerful in helping me be consistent than these other great miracles in my life. I just need to be consistent every single day. Show up every single day. The second thing is be clear. Be clear with the way that you share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Would you be just be really clear? We don't need to use King James language. We don't even need to use Christianese. We don't need to use any of that. We can just tell it like it is. This is where it is. People understand that. Just be clear with your vocabulary. And then thirdly, be caring. Have an empathy. Have the Holy Spirit passion and compassion in your life. So that when you're interacting with others, there's a, a, a noticeable care. There's a no, noticeable empathy that you have. And that's the love of Jesus. And then, and then the last one that I would mention here. Be credible. <laughs> be consistent in the way you live your life. That doesn't mean you don't make mistakes. We do. We do. We, there, we make mistakes. But we also can go back and apologize. We can also go back and ask for forgiveness. Be credible in the way that we live our life that shines the light of Jesus Christ. Be credible. That when I'm living my life here with you in my home or out in the community, it's a credible lifestyle. People say that. That is something I can depend upon right there. Let your life be dependable before God and before your your fellow friends and family members. Just Walk in that credibility. Who do you need to go love today? That's the question. Who do you need to go love today with the power of God's Holy Spirit? Who is that? Would you bow your head with me? Father, we want to thank you for giving us another angle, another lens at looking at Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. You are amazing. And the depth of your word is amazing. That you never leave us wanting, you never leave us lacking, but you always, always show up in our lives. Let us show up with you and let us show up for others. Lord Jesus, thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name we pray and we say together, amen. Amen. Thank you for listening. Please let us know if you have questions or would like us to pray with you. You can contact the church office most weekdays at 503-266-4444 and anytime through canbyfoursquare.com.